promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. I'm a wonderful person. The Holy Gospel on this eve of the Nativity of our Lord comes from the Gospel of St. Luke, the second chapter. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place in the guest room. Now in that same region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see... I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace among those whom he favors. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. Let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, and to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all people. To you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. Before you ever came to God, God came to you. Before you ever had a chance to make him happy, before you ever had a chance to uh, make him pleased with you, before you ever had a chance to get your stuff together, to get your life together, to somehow to be something that he could love, he was happy to come to you, to die for you, to give himself to you. Before you ever gave your heart to Jesus, before you ever said a prayer, Jesus gave himself to you in Bethlehem, in that trough, in the womb of Mary, and this is the story of Christmas. It's, it's not about making yourself a better person. It isn't. It is not about having the Christmas spirit. It's not about changing bad habits. It's not about having some sort of Dickensian Ebenezer Scrooge moment where someone from the dead has to come back to you and scare the living daylights out of you to get you to have the spirit of Christmas all the year round. 
That's not Christmas. It is not about making yourself worthy of God. It is not about getting yourself off the naughty list. In Christ, in Bethlehem, in the baby born to die, God made his decision about you. It's a good decision. He decided that you are his and he is yours. That's Christmas. Unfortunately, the story begins somewhere else, and we kind of miss it. It's, it's the beginning of this, this passage that, that, that Linus from Charlie Brown Christmas makes very famous for us, right? We've all seen the movie. He does a good job of preaching. You all should know it. I was thinking I was playing with the idea of having Linus do the reading of the gospel, but I decided not to. Um, but it begins with this, right? A decree went out, or a dogma, a command, something that is to stand, that is sure, from Caesar, the most powerful man in the world at the time. And what was this declaration? What was this dogma? What was this, this thing? Well, that all the world should be registered. Well, I like wedding registries, right? Get to pick all the fancy little things that you want that you'll never use, right? Or, or birthday registries, uh, uh, baby shower registries, all those things. We love those things. Well, that's not what this is. This is go and get your name written down because you get to be taxed. Congratulations, the IRS is coming for you. <laughs> that's what this is. This is a men out of the household, you show up. That's one coin. Oh, you're married. Oh, by the way, you get to pay for her too. That's two coins. Oh, you have children. Oh, lucky day. Give us more money. It's not about uh, you uh, being awesome. It is about the empire deciding this is what you are worth to us. And we're not going to pay you. You pay us for the privilege of breathing the air that we think we control. That is what this registration is. And I think I like the idea of somehow someday feeling worthy, right, of something. Like, I'd like the idea, like, like we all got taken aback a couple of weeks ago when a particular baseball player, Shoyotani, uh, the Dodgers decided, you're worth $700 million. Just gives me another reason not to root for them. But anyways... You sit here and you can think about, you go, dude. That's all right. You know, $2 million a year to play a game and then $68 million a year for 10 years to do nothing. I would really like that deal. Anybody else? I would love it. And this never, this doesn't happen for pastors. I'd love it if somebody would like come to you and go, you know, pastor, you got like a 500 sermon average. So every other sermon's pretty good. The curveballs you throw in there, boy, they snap. You hit it out of the park with, with the gospel every time. That's, that's really good. Here's a check. You're worth this much. I would love that, but that doesn't happen. Has that ever happened to you? It's never happened to me. I've been doing this for a while. Um, you know, most of us, if we go out and, and we do the, the interview process for a job and all that stuff, I don't know about you, but the most stressful part is when you get to the point where they want to know salary requests because you're going, oh, everything's going great, but what if I ask for too much? We would love to have somebody come to us and say, you're worth this much. I'm going to give you this. We would love that, right? 
Well, that's not, that's not what's happening here. This is just like when Kern County comes to you and says, we've taken a look at your property. We've assessed it. We've decided for tax purposes, it's worth this much. Does anybody else feel like I do, which we, we just want to say, okay, write me a check. Just write me a check right now. I'll take that. I don't think I could sell my house for how much you think it's worth. I'll take the money now, right? But that doesn't happen. Instead, they've decided this is how much this is worth. You don't get a say in the matter. They've just decided these things. This is what's happening here with the empire, with the people, with Joseph, with Mary, with little Jesus in utero. You are worth this much. And the reality is, church, is that most of you in this room thinks this is how God works too. The world works in such a way that you do certain things. You do good things, that should be of value, right? So you get paid for those things. If you do some bad things, you know, you could get on the naughty list, police, blotter, prison, those sorts of things, right? We tend to think that's how God works too, in the sense of, well, if I do good, God will reward me. Because, like, he's beholden to me or something, as though I have some say, and I, like, am more powerful than him or something. And if we do bad, well, there's a place that we go, right? Revelation talks about bad place. We think that's how it works because that's how the world talks to us. That's how the world makes decisions about us. That's, that's what the world has to say to you about your worth, about your value, the decisions that they have made. Well, something extraordinary happens, and I, and I, I missed it until, until this year, reading the story, which is funny, because I don't know how many Christmases I've preached, quite a few. Verses 3 and 4, we all know it. All went to be registered, each to his own city, town, come on. Right? Well, the reality is, is that Joseph didn't need to go to Bethlehem. Did you know that? He didn't need to go to Bethlehem. All he had to do was go down the street, to the tax assessor's office in Nazareth and go, hey, it's me, Mary, here you go, here's your money, see you later. But evidence shows that the Jewish people, being the people of the promise, being the people of the inheritance, in order to give the finger to Caesar, said, okay, you want to register us, you want to tax us, well, we're going to make it fun for you. We're going to go back to the place of our inheritance. We're going to go back to the place in which we know that we have a God of the promise. Because you see, a few thousand years before this incident was taking place, God spoke to a man named Abram, or Abraham. Maybe some of you know his name in that way, right? And says, well, I'm going to make a promise to you, Abraham. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. I'm going to make a great nation out of you, and I'm going to give your people, your children, this land. And that land, Israel, Judea, whatever you want to call it, was a gift to the people of God, to the Israelites. It's almost a sacrament, a peace that, that, that God gives them to remind them that he's a God of the promise, that he makes promises, that I'm going to be your God. That's the promise that he gives them. And so here you have the Jewish people saying to Caesar, you might have something to say about us, about our value, about our worth, about a decision that you've made about us, but we have someone more powerful than you who gave us a promise, who gave us a little sliver of an inheritance, a little piece of land for us to be reminded 
that what he says about me is true and that it's a promise of life in him. And so Caesar, you have no power here. And so they go to Bethlehem. They go back to the promise. That's part of of why church exists because here at the church, it should be where Pastor Chris and I have the joy of reminding you of the promise of God every single Sunday so that when the rest of the world tells you other things about you, you can come here and know where you can find truth and grace and mercy in the promises of God. And that was where Joseph and Mary go off to. And while they're there, something happened. Right? It says, while they were there, something. What is it? <laughs> Baby, right? Baby gets born. God breaks forth into history. It's not just some potential little thing, pie in the sky type of thing. Quite literally takes on flesh, breaks out into history, into the world to bring every promise, every decision, every valuation to completion in Christ. That if you want to know what God has to say about you, you have someone to look to, to tell you what his promise is, to tell you what he thinks of you. It's a promise of compassion. It's a promise of long suffering. It's a promise of love for sinners. Not saints, sinners. Continuous love for those who, by all means, are unlovable sometimes. Forgiveness for those who maybe have done something unforgivable. And the interesting thing is, obedience gets thrown out the window. Because some of you might think, well, if I, a little bit more obedient, if I just do what God says, then he'll love me more. No. Uh, Where was your obedience 2,000 years ago? Hmm? Were you obedient to God 2,000 years ago when Christ came? Have you thought about that? Where was your decision for Jesus 2,000 years ago? That's why it becomes a faith thing. That's why it becomes a trust thing. That is why it is tied to trusting that this baby, born in a manger, born to die for you, is actually for you. Those are the two words you have to cling to at Christmas. For you. Because then, once we start to embed ourselves in trusting that Jesus, when he came into the world, knew that he came for a particular person, that being you, then we can join with the angels in that chorus, right? Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whom he favors. Glory to God, meaning no praise for you. You might go through your life thinking, oh, I, I, need, to, you know, I, need, my, I need the plaque, I need the trophy, I need the gold watch, I need people to clap me on the back when I do something good, you know, all those things. And here we sing, no. It's glory to God in the highest. All the glory to him, all the praise to him. And even more importantly, on earth, peace to those whom he favors. The Greek is even closer to those, to peace for those whom he's pleased with. I'll ask you one more question here. Well, a few more questions. The angels are singing this to particular groups of people, shepherds, 
They're not talking to priests working in the temple. They're not talking to people working the soup kitchen down in Jericho. They're not talking to people who are going about doing great things, who are on their knees praying every minute of every day. He's talking to shepherds. He comes to them and he speaks and he says, a Savior has been born for you. Glory to God. Peace on earth to those whom he's pleased with. And God comes to these shepherds, finding them doing an ordinary thing in a field, probably not even thinking about God, saying, I'm pleased with you. So church tonight, how does God feel about you? Well, he came for you without your permission. He came into the world without you asking him to. What is God's decision about you? Well, he took on flesh for you. Two reasons. One, that he might be God's sermon with skin on. I always talk about it as God con carne. Right? Those little chili cans, right? Chili con carne, right? God con carne with flesh. And he comes into the world that he might speak into the world his words of forgiveness for sinners, life out of death, resurrection, that he might step into time and space for you, but then also that he might die for you. Die because of the fact that you can't imagine that there is a God who has loved you despite your sins. You can't imagine that there's a God who has loved you despite your failings. You can't imagine that there's a God that you do not have to placate every minute of every day. So instead, church, rest this Christmas. Rest in your Messiah who's come to free you from all the other decisions that people make about you, to free you from all the decisions that you make about yourself, to free you from this thinking that somehow you have something to do with Jesus coming to you. No, Jesus came to you already. Rest in this Messiah who loves you, who forgives you. He's made the move to you. Make that be your Christmas gift this Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thanks be to God. Amen.